0: Would you join me in prayer? And so now, Jesus, we do come. We take this moment, Lord, after being directed through song to reflect on You and Your greatness, to now come to hear Your Word, and I pray, Lord, that it would pierce through our hearts to challenge us and to give us hope, uh, to break us, to restore us, to, to break bad dependencies, and to renew our vision and our love for You. So God, I thank You that we have this privilege of joining together under Your Word. Lord, may it conform us to Christ. In His name I pray. Amen. Well, I would ask you this morning... To return in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. We're looking at Acts chapter 4 all the way into chapter 5. This is your first Sunday here. We're just going through the book of Acts, thought by thought, and we've left off here at chapter 4. I also wanted to remind the kids, a few of you have been very faithful even though I haven't reminded you of this and we haven't put the pictures up on the screen, but uh, kids, if you're here and you want to draw a picture of anything that is in the sermon, anything that's said, any part of the story, if you want to just take some time during the sermon, draw me a picture, after the service, I'll be right up front, you can bring me your pictures, and I would love to see them, you guys have drawn such incredible pictures, and even though they are not up at the screen each week, at this point, we haven't been able to do that as much, but I have them in my office, and, uh, and I love looking at them. And we have a wonderful photo journey of acts so far that you guys have drawn, and so I really would like that. And you know, just to be honest, some, it's been more than just kids that have drawn. There's a few adults that have snuck some pictures in, so you know, if you want to draw a picture and sneak it in, you know, you can come up and shake my hand and pretend like we're talking about the bears and, you know, hand off a picture. I won't tell anybody it's you. So, but, uh, but I really appreciate what you kids have done, and the artwork that, that has gone into this, so. But today we are looking here at Acts chapter 4, passage that Michael read for us, and, and before we get into it, I want to just ask you this question. When I say spiritual warfare, what comes to your mind? What's the thought that comes to your mind when you think spiritual warfare? I'm sure that if you really kind of, you're maybe first possible, one of the early thoughts that could come to your mind would be thinking of like demons, And you might be thinking demon possession. You might be thinking about somebody who's oppressed. You might be thinking about even something as dramatic as an exorcism. All that kind of stuff. You think of spiritual warfare. You might be thinking about engrossed sins or being tempted to go do something really horrible. You know, something on a big magnitude. Because oftentimes when we think of spiritual warfare, it's usually something big. Like a big event happens in your life and you say, oh, that must be spiritual warfare because it's big. And spiritual warfare only occurs at a big level. Emotionally, we can feel that way sometimes. And, and I don't want to dismiss that. All those things are true. But there's another side to spiritual warfare. There's a subtle side to it. There's an element of spiritual warfare that goes on that we face daily. And I would even say it this way. There's an element to spiritual warfare that, that you face every Sunday... When you walk into this room, it's an element of the spiritual warfare that can go on in your life where there is a temptation that you might know about, but be unaware that it's actually an intense moment of spiritual warfare. And that's what we're going to look at in this passage today. We're actually going to see Satan's first real attack against the church. Now, you might say, well, when Peter and John were arrested, wasn't that a big spiritual warfare moment? No, that's just the natural state of mankind. They hate Jesus. They don't want Jesus as Lord, and the the, the rulers of the world will fight and resist that. That is rebellion. That's just the rebellion that goes on in the heart of man. But actually, what is set here, after this really high moment in the church where, you know, persecutions come, and they've stood bold, and they've prayed for boldness, all these... Great things are going on. And then comes the first subtle stealth attack against the church. And we're going to see it here today. It's a pretty powerful attack. And I will tell you what it is. It's, it's very simple. The subtle attack that happened here in Acts, that also we face every Sunday morning, is to fake a Christian walk to come across more spiritual or more together than you really are. The attack here at this moment was that what Satan was doing was tempting a couple to try to act as if they were more spiritual than what they really were. Paul talks about this in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. He's describing the church. He says these difficult times are going to come. Men will be lovers of self, boastful, prideful, rebellious to parents, blah, blah, blah. He's just listing out all these things. And then he says they'll hold to a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power of godliness. They'll try to look godly, but in all reality, they're not godly. They're lying. They're faking it. And that's the spiritual warfare that's going on here. A couple is trying to fake The work of the spirit of God They're trying to mimic the work of the spirit of God And that is a temptation as we go through this i'll show you that we face as well It's a very real attack. It's the first Attack against the church in this way from satan and we're going to see what happens. So here's the way this looks We started in verse 36 of chapter 4 because that's really where I think this story should begin. I would I would actually have ended made my chapter division different and started chapter 5 at, at at 436 because what's happening is there's a contrast going on a contrast between the real the true work of the spirit and a counterfeit there's a true work and a counterfeit work a true work and a false work and we're going to see those two works we'll see the contrast that's there and what i want us to see is that a couple of things first i want you to see that god really despises counterfeit Christianity. The first moment it shows up, as Michael read, he dealt with it dramatically, right? It's a dramatic moment. God despises it. But the second thing that I want us to see is I want us to understand the temptation itself. Even though God sent the signal, I don't like this, God also recorded it in the scriptures, so that we could see it and learn and grow and begin to deal with it in our own lives. Now, I will tell you this, and when we get down to, to the end of this thing, this is one of those sermons that requires major self-assessment. This is one of those passages that has you digging deeply into your own life, and it's one of those passages where the blast zone hits all of us. So I just want you to know up front, this is one of those ones that, that ends heavy, But as we end it heavy, I want you to realize something. We end it heavy, but we end it not only heavy in maybe self-assessment, heavy in feeling convicted, but I also want us to end it heavy in grace, that God revealed this to us in His Word so that He could graciously help us. And I don't believe anyone will drop dead this morning in the service. Okay? If you're feeling sick, just leave. Okay, no, i I don't want anybody passing out. They're going, blessed, what's going on? You know, okay. So let's jump into this here. Let's look at the true work of the Spirit. Look at verses 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so here's what happens. We've had all these great things go on in the book of Acts, right? Chapter 1, they receive their commission to be witnesses of Jesus to the furthest reaches of the world. Chapter 2, Spirit of God comes upon them, they begin to proclaim the gospel, 5,000 people get saved. They go on, they begin to declare it everywhere people are getting saved. It's this powerful moment. Peter and John by the time we get into chapter 3, go into the temple, they preach the gospel. They preach Jesus, they get arrested, thrown in jail, threatened that they were going to be hurt if they continue to preach Jesus, but they respond with boldness. The church responds with boldness. And then we see the church not only responding with boldness, but, but faith in the Word of God. They're going to hold true to what the Scriptures teach and love for each other. So faith in the Word, love for each other. These are these you know binding marks of this church. And then we have this example of one guy named Joseph. Now, we know that that we hear of Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas, but maybe you didn't realize that Barnabas was just a nickname given to this guy. His real name is Joseph. Barnabas was just his nickname. And Joseph was a, a very, very prominent leader. This is the first time we come across him, but he plays a prominent role, Barnabas does, in the rest of the Scriptures. But this man had a reputation... And his reputation, you can see, comes from, we learn about his reputation from his nickname. Remember when you have the word bar in front of something in a name in Hebrew? It, it, it means son of. So we have bar and abyss. Bar abyss means son of encouragement. Basically, this guy had such a character trait of being an encourager that the apostles just nicknamed him, you're the encourager. That's who you are. Now what's loaded in that word of encouraging is not just that, hey, this is a guy who goes, hey, nice shoes. Hey, I really like that sweater. Great haircut, right? It's not that kind of shallowness, okay? The idea behind him is that as an encourager, it means that when you were in his presence, you spiritually grew. That's the essence of the word encouragement. By being in this person's presence, you were always spiritually benefiting. In fact, embedded in the word encourager means teacher. It means discipler. And it means giver. Generous. So it means that you got into his vortex, and the next thing you know, you walked out of there going, wow, that guy blessed the socks off me. I guess you'd say sandals in that day, right? Blessed the sandals off me. This guy is an encourager. He built into people. In fact, it was so strong i said the apostles gave him a nickname which is a pretty powerful thing you know when you get a nickname like that i mean they're this they're trying to say listen i can't even call you by your given name because you're so much more than that you're so much more than joseph this is who you are now we learn about this guy look at what he did okay so so joseph he's a levite It's important to note that he's from Cyprus because it will explain something to you in verse 37. That he sold a field and he brought the money. Here's what he did he had this land, and we'll talk about why he had this land in a minute here. He had this land, and he said, You know what? There's 10,000 people in the church right now, more, probably 20,000 people, adding wives and children. Needs are abounding because we're being kicked out of the temple and the temple was the place where people got care. There were no social systems and, and, and the types of infrastructures. There were no hospitals that a person could just go to or an emergency room if they got sick. In Israel, it, it, you, all of that care, all of that stuff was run out of the temple. Well, what happens when you're Christians and they say, we don't want you here. And now you've got all these people who need to be cared for. Well, Barnabas, because he is an encourager, he says, wow. Wow. How could I hold on to this land when there's people in need? I mean, not, I, I got to get rid of this land. I gotta, and you know what, Apostle? I'm just giving it to you because we know that you see things and we're just going to let you distribute this as you need. Now, some of you who are tracking in, in a high, detailed biblical theology manner, you are saying, wait a minute, Steve. He's a Levite. Where'd he get the land from? Now, for the seven of you that were wondering that, I'm going to answer that question. Okay? Most of you probably weren't asking that question, but some of you were going to come up and ask me that question. He's a Levite. Where did he get the land from? Because you know that Levites can't own land. right? Levites were of the priestly class, and they were to earn their living from the temple, and so they were forbidden to own land. So where did this guy get land from? Okay, So I'm going to answer that so that you're not plagued by that question. He's from Cyprus. There's the answer. I say, what does that mean? When Nebuchadnezzar kicked the Jews out of Israel, you know, a few hundred years before this. And they all went all over the, 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 uh, the Babylonian empire. One of the things that God said was, hey, you know, it's okay for you guys to buy land. It's okay for you guys to, 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 to set up shop. You're going to be here for a while. And since there was no temple and there was no way for the Levites to, to earn any living from the temple, these Levites would go out and they would buy land out in the, in the Babylonian empire. Not all of the Levites made their way back to Jerusalem when the Persians took over. Some stayed out there. And so there were Levites that owned land in other countries. He's one of them. Okay, so there's the answer to the question. So now he has his land. He's going to sell it. And he wants to give it. Now, what I want you to see here is just a very simple reality. We have a man whom the Spirit of God has taken over. And as a result, when people are in his presence, he blesses them. He's an encourager. His, he is reflecting the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God moves through him. He builds people up. And he is so moved by this. By ministering, by the kingdom, by the gospel, by the advancement of the kingdom. That he just is willing to take his own property, bring it to the apostles. And say, just use it. Just use it. Now there is a sign of the Spirit of God working in someone's life. That's the true work. Now we need to build the contrast. Let's look now at the false work of the Spirit. okay, Or the counterfeit work that comes not from the Spirit of God, but a counterfeit, an attempt to fake the work of the Spirit. Look at 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, what you need to notice is that this verse, one, begins with a conjunction, and the conjunction is the word but. And when you see that conjunction there, a contrast is forming, right? Isn't that what grammar teaches? A contrast is forming. And so you're supposed to see the story of Ananias and Sapphira in contrast to Barnabas. That's that's what Luke is setting up. Barnabas, son of encourager, giving it all away. So much so he gets a nickname because that's just how much the Spirit of God is oozing out of this guy. And they define him by this. And then comes this couple. And what does this couple do? I believe that they recognize and they see this kind of ministry going on. They see the people given their all. They see the people doing all of this stuff and they devise a plan. Here's the plan that they devise. I'm going to put it in our terms. These numbers aren't in the text here, but I'm just going to do it in our terms. They have a piece of property. Let's say the property is worth a hundred thousand dollars. So what they do is they sell it for a hundred thousand dollars. And then together they conspire to say, now listen, let's keep 25 of it back in the, our bank account. Let's present seventy five thousand to the church, but let's tell the church we sold it for seventy five. So 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 it will look like we're given our all. We'll look like Barnabas. We'll look like those guys that are given everything. See what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna show up on you know and and and, and, and all the people will be gathered together and and, and you know, after Barnabas does all his oozy, you know, gospel stuff, then we're going to walk up and we're going to have our $75,000. We're saying, we sold land for 75000 and we're giving it to the kingdom. And everybody's going to go, hallelujah, this is great, oh, wonderful. And that's what will happen. That's what we'll do. That's the idea of what's being communicated here. They're lying about the sale price. Now, what is wrong with this description? Well, we're going to see. Look at verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. Okay, so what happens? Peter says, first of all, Ananias, Satan has filled your heart. This is the first mention of Satan in the book of Acts. That's why I call this the first satanic attack. This is the first moment he shows up. And what does Satan show up to do? He shows up to get this guy to act more spiritual than he really is. He moved in this guy's heart to pretend like he was Barnabas. To take a form of godliness, but in reality that godliness was not present. This is the work of Satan, because the work of Satan is to tempt you to create a counterfeit move of the Spirit in your life. That's the work of Satan, create this counterfeit move of the Spirit. To act as if you are something you're not. So he says, Satan has filled your heart. Now if you remember, the word filled in the book of Acts means controlled. So he says, now you're under the control of Satan here. Because you're lying to the Spirit. Why are you lying to the Spirit? Because it was the Spirit of God that was in Barnabas. That was the work of the Spirit. Now you're trying to mimic that work and it's a lie against the Spirit. And if you notice Peter's logic, what's his logic? He says, listen, you do know that no one needs to sell land and give us their money. You do know that that's not what we're preaching here. We're not asking you to give us a dime. When you, that land, that land was yours. When you sold it, it was yours. You could have done whatever you wanted with the money, and there would have been absolutely no judgment of you, no recourse. You could have sold it and brought one dollar here and said, Listen, we sold our land for $100,000. We're giving a dollar to the church. And Peter, in essence, is saying, We would have said, Thank you. You didn't need to fake it, it was yours. You know, and, and for Peter, he's like, This is crazy that you would do this. It would be crazy that you would try to create a counterfeit move of the Spirit over this money when you didn't need to do it to begin with. No one was required. This wasn't required of you. See what's going on here. You can't manufacture the move of the Spirit and Peter will not tolerate this. And what's interesting to note about Peter is that Peter is not sitting there just kind of trying to talk Ananias out of this with a set of leading questions. No, really, what's going on here? Come on, Peter. I'm just going to, come on in. You you know, you need a Howard Dayton money management class. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring you into this money management class, and you can sit down, and we'll help you deal with your money, be more honest with your money. No, he says, man, you lied. (laughs) This is it. We will not have fakers in this church. I mean, no counseling, no therapy, no money management books. You lied. It's intense, isn't it? This is what makes people uncomfortable with this story. Because our whole worldview is to kind of handle this softly, right? We, we, we kind of massage these moments. Because, hey, man, he still gave us money. And he's got more, right? Maybe we can get more out of him. But to Peter, the issue was this. You start counterfeiting the work of the Spirit, and we are in a bad place. Because your money's irrelevant. This is what he's telling you money's irrelevant. What is relevant is that the work of the Spirit be true and genuine, and we will not build this on a lie. So notice what happens. As the story begins to unfold, verse 5 When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. You could see why. And the young men rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. So Peter confronts him. He drops to the ground, and he dies. And all the people in that presence were terrified. Right? Right? You would be too. I would be too. That is an intense moment, isn't it? It's a hugely intense moment. I'm trying to... You know, I can't really picture anything in my mind or any experience I've ever had that would kind of match something like that. But to see somebody come in, present this money, and then Peter stand up and go, you're lying. You've lied to God. And boom, he dies. You know, I've never really seen that in a church growth handbook. Right? It's usually not how we handle things, but yet it's intense, and the fear takes over. And then you got, you got these young men standing there. So, you know, what, what's a young man? So here, in this case, you've got a guy somewhere probably 12, 13, 15, somewhere between 12 and 16. So picture 12-year-old boys, 15, 16, you know, somewhere between 12 and 16. They watch this moment, boom, and then what's their job? toss a blanket over him, wrap him up, drag him out, go out to a graveyard, dig a hole, bury the guy. That's what they're doing. That's their afternoon. No Sunday school for those guys, right? You're going to go bury a guy that God killed. And that's your Sunday school. I mean, that's pretty intense, isn't it? I'm just picturing this. I'm picturing my son Andrew, 12, you know. Could you imagine that? Andrew, you're going to go bury this guy. God's making a point, isn't he? He's letting every generation know. No fakers. This is what it is. But the story's not over, is it? Okay, look at verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for, for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Now it's interesting. They weren't together for this. So three hours later, she comes in. She doesn't know that her husband's dead. She walks in, and Peter says, how much did you sell the land for? Or did you sell it for, you know, 75000 or whatever? I'm just making that number up. She says, yes, sold it for 75000 Now, what's interesting that I find fascinating about this moment is that Anna and I, Sapphira, though they're married and though they are going to have certain you know, things before God and the way that they conducted themselves as a husband and wife. The reality of the situation is each person will stand before God by themselves. Right? I mean, this is a moment where she's standing before God with her own heart. This is a moment for her. She can't stand there and say, well, my husband made me do it or it's his fault or he didn't do this, you know and he's not going to say she didn't do this or she didn't, right god's just saying i want you to be honest right now before me and peter is dealing directly with her cuz she stands before god so notice what happens verse 9 but peter said to her how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the lord behold the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed their last when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. This is an intense moment. You know, Peter says, you, you, you and your husband have conspired to create a counterfeit work of the Spirit, to pretend like you're something you're not, to act like you're something you're not. You conspire together to do this. You are testing the Spirit of God because because." You might be able to fool the world. You might be able to stand here and fool the world. But you cannot fool God. You are either in the Spirit or you're not in the Spirit. And that's the one you're accountable to. And he says, now the guys that buried your husband, i.e. he just died for the same sin, are waiting at the door. She drops dead. I'm picturing, I don't mean this in a joking way, but I'm picturing these 12-year-old, 15, 16-year-old guys walking in all dirty and sweaty from digging a grave and burying a guy, walking in going, oh no, another one. You know, It's like, oh, dragging this one out. They drag her out and they bury her. It's just intense. It's an intense moment for the church. What's the problem here? Faking it. To fake Christianity, to fake being in a place you're not, is to test the Spirit of God. To act like you're more than what you really are and to try to put off the persona that you're something you're not is lying and testing the Spirit of God. God is making something clear, isn't He? I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want you to pretend. There is no room for a form of godliness that denies the power of godliness. There's no room for that in this church. So notice verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Right? The fear shows up again. And it came upon the whole church. Now, what's interesting, by the way, a little side note, this is the first time the word church appears in Acts. The first time they're called the church. I find it fascinating. The first place that they're called the church is at this story here. And I think it's a fitting word because the word itself means called out. We're called out of deception. We're called out of faking it. We're called out of facades. We're called out of all that. We're not part of that anymore. And the called out ones became afraid because they realized you are either in God or out of God. You are either with God or not with God. You are either in the Spirit or not in the Spirit. And that fear, I believe, is the idea here, is that the people came to grips with their heart before God. Am I all in? Am I all in? What is the peace I'm holding on to, saying this is the area, this is mine. I'm going to pretend like I'm all in, but in reality I'm not because I'm holding on. I'm trying to control this. I'm trying to keep this. Whatever it is, whatever that amount is that, that you're holding back from the kingdom. He's saying... They, I think everybody came to grips, wow, I don't want to lie that way. I don't want to live that way anymore. I'm, I, I don't want that. And I think that's what's going on. And the called out ones became the called out ones here. This was a defining moment. It's a very interesting moment. Because you can't fake it. So, when you read a text like this, as I said at the beginning, it's a heavy moment because it causes us to examine our hearts. Because the temptation to pretend is in front of all of us, isn't it? All of us, myself included. It is there. It is something we all face. This is an easy conviction, right? It's an easy one. It's one that we can get to because we can all do this, right? I mean, let me just give you a simple example of, of pretending like we're more spiritual than what we really are. An example, we've all, I'm victim. I'm giving you this one because it can be mine. has been mine. Here's an easy one. You come up and you say, I say, hey, how you doing? You say, I'm doing okay. Hey, I'm praying for you. (laughs) I really haven't been praying for you. I might have thought of you four times this week. But did I really get on my knee and intercede on your behalf? But I kind of want you to think I did. Hey, praying for you. My wife and I, we got together and we really prayed about this. Did you? Was it like before dinner? God. Give us wisdom about the new car. Thank you for this food. Thank you for McDonald's. Amen. Yep, we're getting the new car. We prayed about it, right? I mean, do we have we really prayed about it? Did we fast? Did we intercede? You know, did we really take our situations before the throne room of God and say, God, you are sovereign. You are Lord. I trust you. I'm walking by faith in you. Right? The answer is we're tempted every moment to just use the words but not really mean the words right it's all of us we can all raise our hands to that to that thing this text is designed to get us to stop and think about that this text is to get us to stop and say you know what we should be honest before god as you've heard me say before you know some people they will say oh yeah well hey you might be judging me but god knows my heart and my response is yeah he does (laughs) he really does know your heart. And he's merciful, and that's a good thing. (laughs) Because he knows it. And he knows where we try to fake it. And so the reality of the situation is, how do you then know? What is it that, that is the true work of the Spirit? What is it? I think the true work of the Spirit is this. When people live exclusively for the glory and the kingdom of God. I think for Barnabas, I don't think that he did this and was an encourager and a discipler because he was looking for the nickname Barnabas. I think if the apostles hadn't given him that nickname, he wouldn't have said, Boy, you know, I do all this encouraging in the church and they just never notice me. Oh, you can't believe it. I never get the recognition I deserve. I don't think Barnabas would have ever responded that way. I don't think he was sitting there thinking that somewhere I've got to be recognized. I think Barnabas just said, as long as the kingdom is advancing, as long as the glory of God is out there, it doesn't matter. This is about God and His glory. This is about the same attitude that Paul says we should have in Philippians 2 that Jesus had. He was willing to set aside all of the recognition of His glory to be seen as the devil, to carry out the will of God. Paul says, that's the attitude I want you to have. Don't look for recognition Look for glory, God's glory, not your glory. And I think for us, we have to take and and ask ourselves the question, what would happen to me if next week only 10 people showed up here? You know, what what would happen? Would I I stop and say, well, hey, if they're not going to recognize me, then I'm going to get another job. I'm going to go somewhere where people show up. Would I be mad? Because, hey, I need people here. I need you to validate me. Or would I say it doesn't matter? I mean what hey, what did I do to offend them? Probably would be the right answer. But the <laughs> right question. But but the reality is what, what are we doing this for? Is it the glory of God? Is it the kingdom of God? Or is it my agenda, my glory, my recognition? I read a statistic that I don't know if it's true. I won't give you the number. Large percentage of people that leave a church, leave a church because they didn't feel that they were recognized. And sometimes I think about that and I think, you know, there's more to life than being recognized by a man. There's the glory of God. And it'd be easy for me to say, I'm going to leave this church if you don't recognize me or honor me, right? That would be my temptation. And that would be your temptation. It's our temptation. But service done to the glory of God is not bound to whether or not you recognize it. It's bound to whether or not God is worshipped. God is worshipped. I think that's the issue, and that's the discernment. I was writing down some verses. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, We're saved by grace so that we have nothing to boast about. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 states that God is in our life, and He does all these abundant things so that He would get all the glory. And in Romans eleven thirty six, 36, Paul summarized all of this teaching of the gospel by saying, To him and from him and through him is all the glory. To God be the glory in the church forevermore. You start reading in the Bible, that is the motive. It's God's glory, God's worship. God's glory, God's worship. Not what you think of me. So the issue is to find the areas that we're fighting for our glory and to surrender that and say, no, that's not what I want. I want God's glory. So... As we do this, I would like to maybe just give us a moment. Why don't, why don't we just pray? Why don't we just bow our head and ask ourselves, okay, in an illustrative sort of way, what, is, what are you holding on to for your own glory, for your own pleasure, for your own selfishness? What are we going to bring up and say, okay, God, you gave us this story out of your mercy, not to kill us this morning, but to free us from that selfishness? And so let's take it seriously, and, uh, and let's just pray that God would reveal this, we'd bring it to the cross, and we'd be set free from it so that we could live for His glory. So just bow your head, maybe take a moment in silent prayer, and then I'll pray. Lord, in one sense, 20 seconds is not enough to deal with our heart honestly and openly. But Lord, I'm grateful for this passage. I'm grateful that it it can challenge us to think about our lives and the ways that we are tempted in that moment of spiritual warfare to fake it. Tempted to pretend like we pray more than we do. Tempted to pretend like we read the Scriptures more than we do. Tempted to pretend like we are in a better place than we really are. Tempted to, to not be honest. Tempted to hold things back because we want to control things. Tempted to blame. Tempted to do all kinds of things to to not live a. Truly before Your face. Lord, I'm grateful for this passage and the reminder that You despise fake Christianity. That it is a work of the devil. It's not something we should get comfortable with. It's a work of the devil. God, remind us of that. That You don't like it. Help us to be honest. Help us to to lay everything before You. And Lord, I I pray that, that at this moment, even in the heaviness of thinking about these thoughts, That we would be lifted by your mercy and your grace. That you want to free us from the bondage of selfishness. You want to free us from the bondage of lying. You want to free us from the bondage of hypocrisy. Because it's a bondage. And you want us just living for your glory. Lord, protect us from trying to do things to get honor from people. Protect us from trying to work on our own agenda, driving our own agenda. Being divisive with others because we have our own agenda. God protect us from lying. Help us to be vulnerable the right way, before you. And Lord, it's a challenge. I know for many people these words are a challenge because even causes us to be vulnerable before people. That's hard for many people. There's lots of hurt that comes in this world. Lots of people who are afraid to be vulnerable. God, I pray that you would help them to find their security not in the responses of others, but in your care and your love for them. The fact that we're not alone, that your spirit is with us. That you're the one that revives our heart. Help us to find our strength in you and not in trying to control things. Lord, thank you for this account. Thank you for the seriousness of it. But thank You that it exists within the context of the news that Christ died for sins and rose so that we could be set free. I thank You for all of this in Christ's name. Amen.